folk, it's good to be here again. I've been away for a few weeks and we're back again in Generation Podcast. And my guest today is someone I've just met for the very first time. He is Stuart Weir. Stuart works for CARE. Uh, Stuart, tell us a little bit about CARE. What does it do? Yeah, we're, uh, well, by the way, nice to meet you for the and first you. time. Uh, yeah, we're an organisation that uh, seeks to be salt and light in our parliaments and assemblies across the UK. So Westminster, Holyrood, Welsh Assembly, and when it can get its act together, the Northern Irish Assembly. Mm -hmm. And what we try and do is be a servant for churches, local churches, but churches as a whole, to speak into the government on key social issues. So it's all about being salt and light, not just in our schools, not just in our families, not just in our friendships, but also in politics of the day, really. Right, yeah, I think most Christians have heard about care and it's doing a phenomenal work. What about this idea that Christians really should not be involved in politics? You know, if you're dining with the devil, you've got to wear, you've got to have a really long spoon. Now, you you guys are, you know, you're sharing pizza with the devil, surely. Well, uh, we just think there's great biblical warrant for actually taking on board that stance, you know, whether it's Old Testament of uh, rule and subdue the earth, uh, shape it and reshape it um, uh, responsibly. You know, there's that aspect to uh, the faith where we look back uh, at the Daniels, at the Nehemiahs, at the Esthers, at the Josephs, and maybe some of the kings as well. But then look, leaning forward into the New Testament, we take massive encouragement from Paul's engagement and acts with the tribunes and the courts and the governors and then, of course, his teaching in Romans 13 to uh, work with the governments mm -hmm. to uh, to give them no excuse to hammer down on us. To, mm -hmm. And then the politics of Revelation at the end, the tale of two cities. Mm -hmm. So we see lots of warrant for do, doing what we do and getting others involved in that. So it's quite an exciting and edgy kind of ministry. Right. Okay, well, so we're talking about edgy here. You know, folk talk about a prophetic ministry. So you talk about Amos. Um, you know, really speaking into the establishment of the day. John the Baptist, you know, he, he ended, ended up with his head on a plate. Jesus, brood of vipers, turning the tables. Is that a valid prophetic voice when you really, really get to annoy people? Or do you think there are other ways of being a prophet? I think the kind of prophet that you described there quite well, Amos, the Jeremiah's, the John the Baptist, I think sometimes we have to we, we have to be in that mode. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Uh, the cultural mood of the day might mean that anything we say, even if we say it with kindness, is going to come across as a spur, as a real jolt, as kind of a red rag to a bull. Um, on the other <laughs> hand, sometimes the softly, softly approach that's not as public, that's maybe behind the scenes, can be just as prophetic and is winning the day. A bit the Nehemiah of the day, sure. being able to have such a good relationship with your rulers that when you ask them something outlandish, they say yes, because the relationship is good. Or Esther, folk like that. Exactly. It's valid as well. Wise so. as serpents, harmless as doves. Exactly, yeah. So I think... Uh, we have to make allowances for personality types, uh -huh. uh, but we also, the mood music can change and sometimes we need to step up into the fray and be not bullish, but a little bit difficult. 
and the awkward squad sometimes. So yeah, how do you think? I mean, the church is perceived. You've given care, really promote values which are biblical, which some would say were conservative, which I would argue about. I'd say they're actually radical. I mean, you know, just to give the listeners a bit of picture here, Stuart looks like a BG, you know, he's like a Morris Gev, he's just off Bondi Beach, he's like a surfer, you know, he looks really cool, uh, whereas I look like an old geography teacher. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, how, how do folk perceive us, you know, the church, the, you know, biblical Christianity? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the zeitgeist of the day makes what the kind of social conservatism that I suppose that we argue for, try and make a case for, for the good life for society today, is seen as radical, as kind of head shake, and and because we do not represent the zeitgeist anymore. We, we're the ones, we're the alternative ones. What used to be alternative back in the 80s and 90s when I was a teenager is now the mainstream. So the tables have flipped. And so I think the church is perceived as outmoded, um, not really uh, allowed a voice because what we're asking for demands too much of people. It's not liberal and free enough. Uh, it, it demands a higher standard and therefore it is, it goes against the grain. It, it, it drives people a bit nuts or it just makes people shake their heads and what is this odd narrative that you're talking about here? But we're not sure we want to hear more. Okay, right. Again, another issue out there is that folk can look at church and perhaps even the evangelical element of the church, and they would say, you guys always seem to champion causes of what's seen as broadly the right. So, you know, you think of euthanasia, you think of abortion, you think of uh, gender issues... And they say, you you never touch the issues of the so-called left. Now, I know life is not binary, right and left, <clears throat> but is there a, a, valid, a validity in that accusation? There is and there isn't. So, yes, we work on those old school, what are perceived as right issues, the ones you've just described, but we also work on some issues on the left as well, which I don't think some people who've been with us for a long time will maybe know this, but new listeners to care won't. We work in areas such as human trafficking, tackling human trafficking, uh, commercial sexual exploitation, gambling, which has actually become an issue <coughs> of the left. Um, and so we work across both left and right. And actually, some of the politicians that we work with are really varied depending on, you know, we could be political opponents with somebody on euthan with euthanasia, for example, but yet when it comes to gambling or human trafficking, we're working with that politician or those politicians. So it's really interesting where we build alliances. And some of that, because we work on right and left, breaks down a few barriers because we're not as, we can't be as pigeonholed as people would like to actually do. Yeah. So yeah. would you guys see yourselves as apolitical? It's important for you not to express a view on, you know, independence or on Brexit and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so when it when it comes to elections, we just try and encourage people to get involved in politics, get involved in voting, joining parties. We try and make account for the fact that evangelicals have been across the piece in terms of their political persuasions. What we're trying to ask people to do is just get involved and not be indifferent. 
Do you know? Yeah. Now, I used the phrase a few minutes ago of conservative values, and then I changed it really quickly to radical values. Would you agree that biblical Christianity should not be seen as a conservative force, but really world-changing, you know, uh, the early Christians were those who turned the world upside down. Does that language lie easily with you? It really does. And actually, it's fascinating when you look back at some of the, the records from that early radical edge of Christianity, when the Romans would write to one another and go, isn't it weird? These guys, they care for the unborn. They bury their dead. How weird are they? You know, what, what kind of human beings are these? And it seems that some of those remarks would be as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. And so it feels like we're at the radical edge once again as we are in the minority in, in social life today. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, we I, I'm from the Free Church of Scotland. And if you look at the origins of the Free Church of Scotland, especially, you know, in the Highlands and Islands, it's associated with the Land League, with radical politics, with the alleviation of social need, with the failure of the oh. potato famine. Um, it got involved socially and politically here in Edinburgh. It was very much part of radical politics. And I think certainly for, you know, my own tribe, the Free Church, we've got to remember that radical edge and, and when we forget that we've really lost our place so you know i, I want to be a radical yes. in today's society uh -huh. but let me just go on to just one one or two uh, issues <clears throat> let me talk about like transhumanism i see that that's an issue that you guys are interested in the reason i'm raising that is that transhumanism is not something that's largely known about out there um but yeah, I think it's going to become a thing. Can, can you just explain to our listeners what transhumanism is and why it's an issue or will become a big issue? Yeah, it's a fascinating area, transhumanism. It's, it's now in some of these um, tribes that are talking about transhumanism that are beginning to live transhuman lives, that they're understanding being human as a secondary existence. Yeah. So you and I, all of us in this room, are secondary because the way the world is moving is entirely digital. Uh, is Living a life according to um, fatigue, according to inability, according to illness, is unacceptable. So what are we going to do? We need to find a, a notch up from where we are currently to to override and to, to move past all of our frailties. So we'll upload our brain to the internet so that it can be there forevermore, as if the internet weren't going to break one day, for example. But anyway, and so I, what the ultimate aim is, is to become a machine. And transhumanism is this in-between stage that helps us from where we are currently as frail human beings that get tired and run out of steam and get ill and die. And it is the kind of the intervening phase before we can fully become cyborgs mm -hmm. where we're made out of machine parts. And so only by ultimately becoming a cyborg can we uh, really achieve our ultimate aim as human beings is to overcome all of this weakness, all of this frailty, all of this death. And so rather than turning to Jesus Christ as 
uh, our prototype human being who got tired but who overcame death. Yeah. They're trying to find a technological route to get there. Yeah. And so it's a fascinating narrative, which yeah. I think we need to um, engage with because we've got a different story of what it means yeah. to be human. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a different <clears throat> story which addresses death very differently yeah. than they do. And so it's an exciting area because it allows us the chance to tell our story. Yeah. So it's a real interface for the gospel, actually. Sure. Sure. It's fascinating. Yeah. Because there's a real value in suffering. You know, it's almost counterintuitive. But uh-huh. if we know suffering in the world, there would be no hope, there would be no compassion. I was talking to a colleague yesterday, and he was telling the story of this guy who wanted to end his own life. And he was asked, why do you want to end your own life? And he said, well, I was in a hospital waiting room the other day, and I saw this old guy with a beard and he'd one eye closed and one eye open, and he was dribbling in his beard, and he said to himself, I don't want ever to end up like that. But I think the message is that that old gentleman that he was looking at, you know, it wasn't articulated, but the message was, you have no value. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that is really subtle that if we you know, want to get rid of anybody with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I have known great folk who've, oh, who've had Down syndrome. Wonderful. Amazing people who have enriched our lives. Yes. So what would a world full of perfect cyborgs look like? It would be <laughs> hell and earth. It really would be <laughs> awful, wouldn't it? Totally. And I think uh, the human touch is what makes life and society the way it is, as you've described uh, there are folks in my family that have Downs as well. They're happier than people that I know that don't have Downs. Sure. Uh, that, that's an incredible blessing to the world. Mm-hmm. Somehow this thing that's seen as something that should be eliminated at pregnancy level and yeah. in, in utero stage actually enhance all of our lives, funnily sure. enough. Sure. These are the people that when the Paralympics come along, we cheer even louder for yeah. because of some form of disability or whatever that might be. And yet, on the other hand, our NHS is, is actually trying to screen them out. Mm-hmm. And so it's a weird thing that we're seeing. Uh, we see human frailty. We see flaws. We see disability as something we either need to fix through medical ethics, mm-hmm. fix, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or to get rid of us altogether and just build machines. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you'll see North Korea and Japan now moving towards building robot nurses. Right. And it's really interesting because you'll ask these patients, well, what is it like being a recipient of these robots? And they'll say, well, I actually prefer the robot to the human. (laughs) They're never tired. They're never grumpy. (laughs) They're always cheery. They always say hi. And you're like, but do you not lack for the human touch? Mm -hmm. He says, well, look, they're happy enough. I can live with it. And so we're moving into quite a scary area of human existence where uh, machines and humans, we need to ask the difficult questions. And, and none of these things are actually being talked about in UK politics at a deep level. And it's quite, it's quite a concern. And yet, when you think about the human stories, that you talk about the the man who is dribbling in his beard or my maternal grandpa who essentially lost his mind, 
But those last moments, he was a he was a male voice choir singer. He loved to sing. He was a great bass singer. Okay, and it seemed as if this poor guy, this old guy who was a fisherman on the Murray Firth all his days, who had a great sense of humour, um, didn't have much to offer the world in those last months when he was in his old folks' home and he yeah. was getting hospice care. And my mum somehow tuned in. What if we start singing? He wasn't responding to any questions. He wasn't responding to any kind of care or any sort of touch. But when she sang, came alive and he joined in. And those moments were some of the most human moments he ever had with us as a family. And yet, in other ways, he was quite incapacitated. And we'll never remit, we'll never forget those moments when he was able to join in and sing those incredible hymns, even though he was towards the end of his days, you know. And so those human moments are some of the ones that stick with us the most, you know. Sure, but I was reading an article in the Scotsman yesterday about this gentleman again who wanted to take his own life and he was ready to go. His quality of life had really been reduced. There was an irony, however, in that the article he wrote arguing for his own, you know, the ability to take his own life, the article, whilst I didn't agree with it, was so well written and so articulate that I thought, what a shame, you still have a mind, you've still got a logic, I don't agree with you, but you write well, you you write fluently, you've got so much more to give. No, I know that's right. And I think this is where the two, the dominant narrative of our culture is you can lose your dignity. That person who's dribbling into their beard, how undignified is that? Whereas our story, our, our great story, which is a minority report these days, is we're dignified by default because we're made as God's reflection on earth. We can't lose that. No matter what diseases or conditions we may end up with, you are somebody, because you have breath in your lungs, yeah. you are of inherent value. Sure, sure. And yet the world doesn't know it. This is the what should compel us out into politics and into our workplaces to say, I've got a different version of life than you. Yeah. Yeah. Going to give us a chance to tell you what it is. <laughs> a little segue connected to that, I guess, is you know the abortion debate. Um, I want to talk just a little bit, and I don't know if CARE has got a position or did they lobby or did they do anything on this. Okay, the girl has opted not to have the baby. Uh, Are you, as someone who is in in the political world, saying that's the end of the story, or is there (laughs) CARE after that? So if you get post-abortion CARE, whether someone chooses to terminate the life of the baby or to keep the baby. Is that something that interests care? Are you lobbying about that? Yeah, so thank you for asking that. We're keen on both sides of that. Obviously, we want to encourage um, people to think about the different choices they've got. Usually, it's really interesting talking to, to women, young and old, people that have either had a past abortion or who are thinking about an abortion. There, are, We have seldom met a woman that wants to have one. Sure. Often they end up having one because they feel like they don't have another choice. But I don't know hardly any women that really wanted to have it. They just felt like they ended up in a corner and had to have it. 
And so we would still promote life. We would promote the value of the unborn, of course, in Great Britain, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland were highly liberal. Our brothers and sisters in Northern Ireland have a pro-life law, which in 60 days is about to be overturned mm -hmm. if the Assembly doesn't sit down again. Westminster's a strong arm, a, a very liberal law on them. But, and this is... Uh, probably our more, most compassionate ministry. We run a ministry called Open, which we offer to churches around Scotland. And it is for women and men who found themselves, whether it was before they became Christians or whether they secretly as a Christian had an abortion, offers to shine the light of Christ of healing on people who have had a past abortion. And to say, do you know what? Christ can forgive you you can ultimately, through Christ, forgive yourselves as well and actually get better. Uh, find some healing, true healing, psychological healing, maybe even physical healing yeah. as well. But to deal with something you've maybe pushed down into your subconscious because it's a, perceived as a shameful act, a sinful act, you understand how the mechanics of theology works, and so you've never really discussed it. But why not come away to a nice retreat centre somewhere in Scotland with comfy sofas, Lots of carrot cake, loads of hugs on offer if you want it, but the chance to unpack this stuff in a, in a stress-free environment, in a Christian environment, and say, just like the Lord said to the woman caught in adultery, for example, where are your, where are your condemners? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't condemn you either. Mm -hmm. Come and embrace me. I, you have been forgiven. There is not one dark moment in anybody's lives that I can't redeem right. and make whole again. And so open is an attempt to help the churches, people in churches, to come and see really difficult areas of their lives and be healed up in Jesus. And so right. we want to combine the tough <laughs> stuff of lobbying mm -hmm. for life in the womb, both for the, mother, the health of the mother and the health of the baby sure. simultaneously. Both yeah, lives two matter. Two lives matter, yeah. Alongside um, helping people get better after they've had an abortion, if they've chosen to take that route. So, And, and, and you know, talking about the Generation podcasts, you know, we were telling one of our colleagues who we planned to come to invite along, and we said, we've got a guy from CARE, and this person is a really good friend of mine, said, well, I thought Generation was a mission. Um, what, what are you talking about CARE you know, for? You know, we, we're gospel people. We are interested in folk, you know, getting saved. We're interested in, in evangelism and, and the new birth. Uh, why, why don't you ask a guy from CARE? So what would you say to my cynical friend? Yeah, so I would take them to the city on the hill that Jesus talks about. That brilliant moment in scripture, he says, don't put, don't put a basket over the top of your brilliant light. Take that basket off. Let the light shine out. And guess what? As you unpack your life, as you share your life with them, and they become more and more convinced that you've got a better version of the good life than they do, but they're going to give glory to your Father in heaven for this thing they've discovered, this new thing called the kingdom of God, which is good news in Jesus Christ. It's salt and light, isn't it? We, we let the whole world see what life in all its fullness is, is all about. Man, it's more of a gospel thing than ever. And as you said earlier, before we went online, John Stott showed us the way. Francis Schaeffer showed us the way in this good stuff decades ago. And yet somehow... 
that message hasn't penetrated through to some of our churches and we're the worst for it. Stuart, you know, I've never met you before, didn't even know what you looked like. And, uh, you know, when the guys who set this up said, we're going to get Stuart away from care, you know, to be, you know, this is disclosure time. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought I was going to get a 60-year-old guy, a, a technocrat in a, in a suit. <clears throat> now, I, I want to give you a job. I, 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 I want you to join us as one of our ministers. I want you churches and revitalize because you've got it you know well this is the good stuff of thomas chalmers you mentioned this earlier your books are sitting above me here on the mantelpiece but this is what thomas did all these years ago was he understood the fusion between uh preaching and and loving the poor and and getting out there in society he rolled his sleeves up and he was in the pulpit simultaneously you guys in the free church know this stuff well we know, you know? in theory you know we, we had a debate at our general assembly last may uh, which of course had an audience of millions and it was saying you're neglecting the poor in the community <clears throat> but you, you, you know, you're absolutely right you're taking us right back to uh, our, this is your our, roots has, has this, is, this is your DNA right and it's good so, stuff so often we find there's folk from the court outside who are reminding us what our roots were so you know if you were a member of an ordinary church let's take you know, we're not talking about, you know, Saddleback Community Church or First Baptist Houston, Texas with 25,000 members. We're talking about, you know, Lanark or Hamilton or Kilmarnock or, you know, Kenmain and Aberdeenshire, you know, just <laughs> ordinary places. Aye, yeah. How does an ordinary wee church, maybe 30 people, maybe 60 people, how does it manifest a social awareness how does it act as that light in the hill that you were spoken speaking about? Well, with my care hat on, one of the key ways of doing this is it's, it's funny, isn't it? You know, you look at you look at politics of the day, and and uh, it's a bore. So the the MSP that has its surgery in the local school in Kemney, nobody will show up to that surgery. And so somebody walks in the door, and they've got a sheet of A4 paper like you've got sat in front of me now with a few notes scribbled on it. And you sit down and you smile and you do you know, what you do is so interesting. I did that with my MSP recently. And then at the end, and I shared- Were you the only guy in the I room I was the only them? guy that couldn't believe somebody showed up. I was, in drum, <laughs> I was in drum chapel and they couldn't believe it. They were like shocked somebody showed up. And then I said to them, can I pray for you? And they went, their eyes welled up with tears. Aww. And I don't know anybody yet that's turned down the offer being prayed for. Now, whether you do that with them there and then, which they often value, or whether you do it afterwards to say, like, what can I do next for you, Mr. MSP or Mrs. MSP? Because Kemney matters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the next time you come in, that relationship's got credit in the bank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know? And, and the MSP's starting to talk about with their pals, why can't we ask the churches to do something? They're a brilliant energy in the community maybe they'll help us with this issue maybe they'll be a vehicle that'll help us do something so that's a political example but i think uh, whether it be food banks or whether it's um other kinds of homeless ministries uh, whether it be um, blessing schools not just uh, doing assemblies in schools and great chaplaincy work we have a, a vested interest and i actually think a lot of people do recognize we do the good work mm -hmm. um, of blessing society. They just don't 
often always want to bow the knee to Jesus that comes along with that. That's a hard do, do we, thing to do have to do. Do we do it just for the sake of doing it? Do we do good stuff just because it's good? Or do we do it because we get folk into our churches? I think it's the former. I want Let's love our neighbour. I, I want the golden rule. What's the golden rule if you're new to the golden yep. rule? We, we do to others as we would want people to do to us. I want to be your friend because ultimately I want people to be friendly to me in society. I want to help the lady that was trying to get across Byers Road and it was a, on her wheelchair and it was a bit of a steep hill to get yep. to the top of... Why did the student walk right by her? Yep. I want him to be neighborly. So what I need to do is be a neighbor myself and show people what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a seminar on personal evangelism and witnessing. <clears throat> and one of the things I always speak about is the danger of scalp hunting. You know, that uh-huh. it seems to me that a lot of Christians are just not interesting, uh, interested in people unless there's the possibility of some uh-huh. kind of evangelistic conquest. But you spoke earlier about the innate value of a human being. You love them, you serve them, whatever. And at the end of the day, the response is, you know, Paul plants, Paul is waters, is God that gives the energy, but we just do our thing. Uh-huh. Well, what fa- I mentioned him earlier, I was thinking about Francis Schaeffer, and when I was studying uh, from a PhD on the theology of work, I, did, uh, I looked at Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, the first evangelical in the 70s to talk about pollution. Yeah. Most evangelicals are looking at each other going, who cares? You've lost your nut, This mate. earth's going to... Uh-huh. It's just going to burn anyway. anyway. so stuff it, yeah. But all of a sudden, all these hippies start visiting him in Switzerland going, now why would a follower of Jesus be interested in pollution? And he started talking to them, if this is where you want to start talking, let's talk, let's talk about pollution. And it intrigued them yeah. that he would be that interested in life today. Now, did it turn to Jesus? You're too right, it turned yeah. to Jesus. Yeah. But it wasn't a trap. Yeah. He was genuinely interested in all of life. It just so happened that he could also tell them the reason I'm interested in pollution is because of Jesus. And so they're integrated. It's not a trap to get people into a pew, you know? Yeah, no, I've also just seen the reason for your amazing hairstyle. (laughs) That's right. You're a Francis Schaeffer guy, (laughs) a Labrie guy, (laughs) a refugee from the 70s. That's right. He was radical. It's like you free church guys. (laughs) Talking about Schaeffer, you know, we spoke a a word that folk often talk about is co-belligerence. Yes. Working with folk that we may not, you know, normally work with. Can you explain to folk what co-belligerence is? And is that a value that you guys in care uh, hold to? It really is. And in, in the practical level, it is something that we live on the day-to-day with. I can't tell. I, tell I, the folks what it means, first of all, and then say why it's important. Yeah, well, co-belligerence is this ability to be able to put up almost like a Chinese wall. I may disagree with almost everything else in the world, David, but on this one thing, we seem to agree on, and we can do business together. We can work on politics together. We can campaign together. We can go out and share a platform together with one another, and yet on the next issue along there, we'll, we'll be... We'll be <coughs> Complete opposites. Yeah. So I can sit down with my friend Linda. My friend Linda is a uh, feminist who's off the charts with red hair. She's pro-LGBTQI. She's pro-same-sex. She's pro-everything that probably I wouldn't be pro. 
But I agree with her stance on prostitution, which is to say these women, the majority of these women in prostitution are uh, being sexually violated on a daily basis by multiple men. How can we help them get the heck out of there? Me and Linda do incredible work together. We've actually become brilliant friends. But isn't that another thing that, you know, you and the Lindas of this world, that other folk would say, man, they're the odd couple. And yet when you just sit down and it's two humans, you just start talking. Uh And you've got that respect for each other's humanity that you can actually have a respectful conversation. It's so funny, you know, She, uh, we end up talking about all sorts of, you end up talking about your kids and at the end of the day, you realise you've got way more in common than all your philosophical or your theological convictions, which are so valuable to me, by the way, but that human touch, once you've found something to work together on, all of a sudden, that trust builds up and actually you, you would do more than fight for that person actually as a fellow human being, sure. as your neighbour. And, you know, you get folk like Rowan Atkinson, you know, Aka, Mr. Bean, you know, and he's probably not a card-carrying church guy, but he's a big freedom of speech man. Yes. And that's an irony, isn't it, that with our liberal society, and, you know, many of his value, liberal values, which ironically have come from a kind of Judeo-Christian worldview. Yes. Um, but, you know, we can work with folk like that. And the irony is that as the world is becoming supposedly more liberal and open and into equality, yet it seems to me that the establishment want to close more and more free voices down. Seen that here with Edinburgh Uni, haven't we? I mean, it's quite scary. They're deliberately um, shutting down certain speakers from coming in because they're not. Uh, getting across the zeitgeist's opinion on a matter. Uh, We find actually with some of the hate crime legislation that's being proposed to try and clamp down an extreme uh, violent religion like Islamists, for example, some of that, we're actually finding that we can stand side by side with humanists and secularists. Why? because they've got strong opinions too, just like we do. Now, they're very different opinions, <laughs> but they don't want the state saying, you're not allowed to say that anymore, yeah. Peter Hitchens or yeah. Christopher yeah. Hitchens or whomever. You know, So actually, we're finding a lot, and co- especially on freedom of speech, yeah. we're finding a lot of commonality yeah. with our neighbour down the street. It's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I mean, we could we could talk all day. There, there's just just one or two things here, and you know, thanks for our our podcast crowd for listening in. If you're in your car or at home or, or doing the dishes, it's great to have uh, your company. One one of the interesting things uh, that Care's looking at, and I never thought of this, uh, is religious intolerance in the sense of violence against Christians. So I was reading. This is unbelievable. Apparently, uh, up to date, this year, in the last year, there's been something like 445 attacks in places of worship in Northern Ireland. Now, that's across the board. You've got a church like St. Field Road Presbyterian, and uh, there's a Protestant church and the Sacred Heart Church in Ballyclare, which is obviously a Roman Catholic church. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I didn't know this was a thing yes. until Care revealed it to me. I, 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 has my head been in the sand here? Well, it's true. It's not been getting many headlines. And uh, my colleague Mark over in Northern Ireland was 
out doing media work on it all day long yesterday. But yes, this is a growing thing. You're getting uh, anti-religious, extreme reactions happening all over. It's not just happening to churches. It's happening to temples. It's happening to mosques. It's happening to synagogues. And so religious groups are being attacked. I mean, in some of the most heinous ways mm-hmm. uh, being defaced. We actually wrote to the, the minister, Ash Denham here, uh, community safety minister, to say, will the Scottish government put together a fund that will help uh, religious groups uh, repair their buildings if they've been defaced by any extreme reactions? And so, yeah, this is becoming a more and more common thing. And what's happening is churches aren't speaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Those numbers are conservative. Yeah. Churches just kind of go, well, we've got a decent fund. Our people are good to us. We'll just repair that. And don't tend to actually report it. These are just the ones that are reported. And so hate crimes that have got a religious angle against us are, are increasing. And so we live in a world where our enemies, whom we're told to love, are starting to treat us in some kind of yeah. mean ways. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting going forward if we can... Uh, respond to that Christianly. Okay, Stuart, as, as we come into land, just uh, a couple of things to, to finish off with. Are, are you guys involved in any specific campaigns? I know you've got lots of stuff always in the go, the euthanasia stuff, the bioethics stuff, yes. the human trafficking stuff. From time to time, you concentrate on things. What, what's your thing at the moment? Our big thing is uh, prostitution. Commercial sexual exploitation is a big problem in Scotland. Many people don't know it. Many people in the church tend to fall back on the kind of line of, well, these women have chosen to go into prostitution and therefore dot, 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 it's their own fault, blah, blah, blah. But the majority of women are not that kind of secret diary of a call girl kind of thing, which is glamorized on TV, you know, and all that. The majority of women tend to uh, get into it. Either they've been abused as children, they go in for socioeconomic difficulties. A lot of students go into prostitution so they can survive their studies and then get stuck in it, or they've got drug addiction, or they end up in drug addiction through being in prostitution and then can't get out. What w- Our biggest campaign at the moment is to try and help uh, women exit prostitution safely, get the help they need psychologically, physically, health-wise, get into new forms or or good forms of work, healthy forms of work. And the key thing, to criminalize men that pay for sex. Why? Well, we don't believe that this is a healthy way for men to go and have a sexual relationship. So we've got a big campaign at the moment to write in. If you want to write in to us, you can request one of our briefing packs, which we've got. I'll mail it out to you. So just how do they get? In, how do folk get in touch with you? Uh, come on to our website. So it's care.org.uk forward slash Scotland. Write to me, request a pack, or you can tweet us at, at carescot or Facebook forward slash care for Scotland, and give me your address. Direct direct message me. However you want to get in touch, give me your address. Ask for a prostitution briefing pack, and I will send you one. And you can write to your MSPs either email or. And get involved in us lobbying the government to get help these women exit prostitution. Stuart, it's been great talking to you today. It's been a pleasure. And I have enjoyed meeting you. Uh, Stuart and I are just going to go on Spotify now and listen to some Beach Boy stuff <laughs> and some Bee Gees. And the rest of you, you just have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure.